Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, October 1st, 2017. The share ID numbers for Friday, September 29th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 10487. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 10489. Today, A Vision for You presents From Darkness to Light. The promise of the 12-step process is one of a spiritual awakening. Awakening suggests a gradual change. We are changed in the way we think, the way we feel, and especially in the way we behave. A spiritual awakening is much like a dimmer switch. Gradual, one click at a time. The light of our lives gets brighter and brighter as a result of the spiritual process of the 12 steps. However, the big book makes it clear, we are recovered, not cured. The darkness descends if we rest on our laurels. The dimmer switch goes down one click at a time, very subtly, and then we find ourselves in the darkness. Sometimes we think about relapse as taking place at that exact moment when we return to our binge foods. Actually, relapse is a process that precedes that first bite. Relapse is a series of events that contribute to the breakdown of our recovery and that leads us back into the disease. Nonetheless, Every breakdown is an opportunity for a breakthrough. The foundation of this spiritual process is having a spiritual experience of powerlessness. The program of recovery can free us from the darkness of compulsive overeating and enable us to stand in the sunlight at last. Joining us this morning is Katie S., a recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and she's here to share her experience, strength, and hope with all of us today. Welcome to the line, Katie S. Thank you, Leah, and thank you, everyone on the line. I um, always like to start any type of talk like this with the third step prayer because it really helps push out self and let God speak through me, which is yeah, helpful, <laughs> to say the least. So, God, I offer myself to Thee to build with me and to do with me as Thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do Thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of Thy power, Thy love, and Thy way of life. May do thy will always. So um, to get started here, I'm just going to give you a little background. And so I am 35. I've been in program since February of 2011. I am a bulimic and compulsive overeater, although I usually identify as a food addict because it just seems to fit the best with how I respond. Um, so what I'm going to attempt to do here with God's help is to tell you a little bit about my story, uh, what happened to get me into a recovered state, the fact that I was recovered for two and a half years and relapsed, and that I'm currently recovered again. I've been abstinent for over a year. Um, 
I didn't think that that would happen for me. I had a lot of guilt about having had freedom and throwing it away, but I was surprised that the process worked uh, again, and I've been given the gift of a recovered life. So um, my pre-recovered experience, uh, the first year and a half of LA is pretty well described in the chapter more about alcoholism. I was unwilling to admit that I was a real compulsive overeater. I tried every form of abstinence besides giving up my binge foods, um, only binging alone, never having binge foods in the house, only binging when I went out, only organic binge foods, more exercise, inspirational books, you get it. And um, my story, it also parallels Jim's story. I would have high resolve, have made a plan with my sponsor, was clear on the fact that if I started in on compulsive eating, that it was not going to end well. But the idea to pick up would sneak in like a whisper. I would convince myself that it was going to be okay and that I could participate in family activities or friend celebrations. And there I was by the end of the night, totally defeated um, and usually unwilling to get back to abstinence for a while. Um, So they also talk about going out deliberately to get drunk, and this was me to a T. Uh, I would feel justified by my anger or anxiety or depression to pick up, and I would with a vengeance, but um, like they all say here, it was insanely insufficient when compared with the pain and destruction to my life, that the coping relief that I got from picking up just for that evening or however long it ended up trailing off, it wasn't actually worse. I used to say, like, whatever I thought that I was signing up for, the disease had more in store for me. I would think that I'm not going to binge for the holiday or the weekend or maybe even the vacation, and then it would be weeks, months, and early on years. I mean, I've been messing around with addiction for as long as I can remember um, seriously since I was about 15 or 16. Um, so my disease progressed in the room. I could white knuckle it for a few weeks and maybe get a 30 or 60 day coin from time to time, but my binges were becoming increasingly more violent and scary. Um, I would come into the rooms crying and swear that this time it was enough pain to straighten me out, but just like the jaywalker, I was back back at it usually by the next day or within a week. Um, so like I said, that went on for a year and a half until the fall of uh, 2012. And after a particularly bad binge that involved alcohol, um, I had a crossroads moment. So with this binge, my uh, boyfriend, possibly fiancé at that time, were hanging out and decided to have a couple of beers and eat some food and whatever was going to go on. And then he went to bed like normal people do. <laughs> like, okay, we hung out. He went to bed. I stayed up, finished everything that was in the house, felt really confident about my driving ability and went to all of the fast food restaurants like near our, in our neighborhood. And then 
benched and purged in a public parking lot, went to the next neighborhood over, got sued from a 24-hour grocery store, and came home and did it again. So it was a bad one. It was a really uh, bad experience. And um, I woke up the next morning with that, the four horsemen, uh, the terror, bewilderment, frustration, <laughs> despair. They were absolutely upon me and I, I was just shaking back and forth and I couldn't believe what I had done. Like I couldn't believe that I had taken his car without asking why, you know, just I was like feeling really hopeless. And um, the crossroads moment was seeing I was gifted a vision of what my life and ultimate death was going to look like if I continued on the path of addiction that I had been walking for years and I knew I knew where it went ruined relationships uncontrollable binges uncontrollable weight gain spending money I don't have the disgusted um, and exhausted faces of my family and unmanageable pain just intense and then there was this other path and it was it was a path of recovery and spiritual help that I didn't know where it was going to go. It really scared me. It was the unknown. It was something that, honestly, when I came into the rooms, the the God talk really turned me off. I didn't know. I was hoping there was a way to do the program without it. <laughs> I was hoping there was a way to just, like, get through it without going that way. And, um for me, there wasn't. For me, that it didn't look that way. I just had to get to that moment of, oh, gosh, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to ruin everything. There won't be any husband, job, uh, none of it. None of that will happen. So I'm going to start going this other way. And my sponsor at the time suggested that I do a 90 and 90 90 meetings in 90 days, and part of that was um, phone meetings. And, you know, I'd say it was like a week or so in that I found to the the angel noises like, ah, a vision for you. <laughs> and when I first heard it, I was blown away. I just couldn't believe that there were other people who were having the same experience to food that I was. They were talking about having extreme reactions to certain substances and they how they were how they were describing this. First of all, I hadn't really heard before. Most of what I had heard had been um either like, oh, I'm eating some cookies and I feel bad about it or like I uh, or people were having extreme reactions and no solution. But what was amazing about the people who were sharing on A Vision for You was that they weren't doing it anymore. And um, I just started calling people immediately. <laughs> like, what are you doing? What What is this? And I remember um, they started, someone, uh, a friend of mine now, but asked me, if you're allergic to sugar, why are you eating sugar? And I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, sugar's in everything. Like, it it really was confusing to me. Like, my idea of eating healthy was, like, 
I'm going to have a granola bar or a chicken with some sauce in that has sugar in it, or I'm going to have uh, yogurt that has sugar in it. And, like, it never occurred to me that, like, I, that, you know, I thought I was making these healthy choices, that that could contribute to, to me feeling... Um, feeling the reaction or leading to these other binge where I pick up what I actually knew was, you know, a problem for me, the things that we all know. And so, uh, so when she said that, I was, I was just like, what is this? Like, I just, I, I, I had heard that there were people who abstained from sugar, but honestly, I thought it was just, you know, there was a small group of people and that's just what they had to do. Like, I didn't recognize that it was like the program. Like, I didn't, I didn't really know. And that sounds amazing that I was in OA for a year and a half and didn't actually know that, but it's true. So um, uh, I am um, – hold on. Let me look at this. So at that same time, I started going to AA meetings because that because of that terrible experience I explained to you and how it involved alcohol. And um, I was listening to Vision and – while in the meeting, there was someone who was sitting across the room and she was talking about the big book and she was doing a lot of stuff, like collecting money to buy big books to take to uh, uh, rehabs and uh, starting up small groups. And she was just doing a lot of service in hospitals and institutions. And um, I went up to her afterwards and was like, hey, like I hear you talking about the big book and I'm listening to this meeting in my other program and I'm really into that. Like, do you think that you could help me with this? Do you think that you could, uh, you know, take me through the steps or whatever it is that we're supposed to be doing? <laughs> and, um, and she was like, yeah, you know, I'm starting up a workshop within the next couple of months. And if you want to get started, I can help you out now and we can meet up. Here's my number. You know, it, it was suggested to me to to call your sponsor every day for the first 30, 60, 90 days. That's what she told me to do. And I just started doing that. Like I, I started calling her. And in the meantime, I had Googled like food plans, OA, something along those lines. And I came across this like uh, Food Addicts Anonymous food plan. It's really uh, super clean. Like uh, basically it eliminates any of those foods that, could be an allergy for 90%. I'm not promoting it. I'm just saying that that's what I did. And um, so I something happened in those few weeks that I, like, had a realization that alcoholics go through such great lengths to not pick up the first drink. They have, like, all of these things that they're doing to not drink alcohol. And I was like, I'm not doing that at all like I'm not going any lengths I'm eating it like maybe I feel like it's in small amounts or it doesn't count for whatever reason but I am not going any lengths for my recovery and um I just something happened that gave me this drive and a path to follow and so my the first thing that I did with this food plan was I, I went down to uh, my sister's house in rural North North Carolina for a couple of weeks and like just had bought the food that I needed and was uh, planning meals while she was at work and making us dinner and 
this was like my personal rehab experience where I was separated from all the triggers at my house and I was taking walks outside in nature and just, I was kind of going absolutely insane, to be honest. I was detoxing and just had no idea that I would have such a physical reaction to um, the substances that I had been attached to. So I and also was like listening to A Vision for You all the time. I was listening to recordings, special editions, calling people, uh, trying to just find out more. I was trying to immerse myself as much as possible by what I could do. And so um, uh, with my AA sponsor, uh, we were going through the big book and I started to understand what I was dealing with. Like we talked about the doctor's opinion, the allergy, the mental obsession. Uh, I was learning and there is a solution about this illness of compulsive overeating and how I was defenseless against taking the first bite. And that was like different from what I had always heard. I thought like, you know, I don't have a choice after I take the first bite, but I have a choice if I'm going to. And like, what I was learning was my experience that I actually did not have a choice, that it just kept, uh, it kept sneaking in. Like I could not defend against my own brain. There was nothing that I could do to defend. So, um, those first three steps, happened where I did write out like detailed uh, questions that had been taken strictly like from the big book but I also just like felt them deeply even though I had gone on this little rehab experience to my sister's house I came back I still binged on like stevia pumpkin pie and other stuff like I it didn't like I could have just like oh and then I was free from it and I just didn't think about it anymore like no I had a real problem and was recognizing like I am powerless. I can't stay away from this even though I want to. And um, there was this other option to move towards a higher power and work the steps. And I made a decision that I was going to do it because mostly because I knew I wasn't, there was no life for me otherwise. There was nothing that was going to be sustainable the way that I live life uh, when I'm not in recovery. And so, um, we we did a thorough fourth step. Uh, my sponsor was really helpful in that area too. I had made three columns of, uh, you know, who I was resentful at, why, what it affected in me. And the the fourth column, I didn't really get it at first. Like I, I I just did what she said to do. Like I just did what she said to do, and was looking at my part, was looking at like how I had done what I resented to those people in my life either to them or other people and where had I been uh, self-seeking, selfish, dishonest, and afraid. But mostly I was going through this process and um, it was just like getting out all of this stuff that had been with me for years, putting it on paper. My fifth step was six hours long. Like I, <laughs> I, uh, she was the same. She was the same. And, um, then I had a really profound 
uh, six and seven as well. Part of my six was to go back and read just my part of the inventory. And I had this overwhelming feeling of like, I just, I don't want to be her anymore. Like how I was treating people, how I was reacting and living in fear. I just didn't want to be her. And um, I sat in meditation and then said the seven step prayer. And I kid you not, I, I could have, when I stood up, I felt like I could have launched over the coffee table. Like, felt like I lost 30 pounds saying a prayer is what it felt like. I just, it was, it was a kind of weird. Like, I was like, that was, that was weird. You know, it was an actual event that seemed whatever, strange. And then I kind of dawdled between seven and eight, not because my hunter was saying, oh, let's take a break, but I was, felt pretty good from my uh, seventh step and um, it was like at least a few weeks that I was messing around and uh, my sponsor anytime I tried to say to her like oh well I'm feeling weird about this she was very clear that she uh, she said the words to me it sounds like your unmade amends are going to kill you and um, she was heavy-handed and like this is what we do we made a commitment to go through with the steps and you've got to make your amends like you might be feeling okay now but that's it's not going to fly and um she was there helping me along the way making my list and uh we made cards and the like basically index cards with the person's name, what the harm was, where they were, what I was clear about, and then divided them into piles of, like, unwilling and willing. And the the one that I did not want to do at all was to my husband. And he turned out to be, like, one of the first ones that I did because I'm making amends and sitting across the table from him, and it just was the right time. So I make this amends to my husband, and I... um. I had such like an amazing experience with it, not necessarily because what he said, but just that I finally felt free to be myself, to be honest, to be authentic in my own house. And what happened with that feeling is that it fueled me through the rest of them. I probably had 50 amends to make and I was uh, setting up appointments and having these cards with me in my purse, doing like three to five a week. Uh, I I was on fire doing amends, and I loved it. I really, I, gosh, I had some amazing experiences. But um, the one that I want to talk about is the one that got me recovered. And um, so my mom had passed away a few months before I entered program. And I had said a kind of like, and I'm sorry for being a bad kid, something along those lines before she had passed away. And uh, I didn't really know how to do this process or how to um, take ownership of what actually happens. But um, my sponsor helped me. I wrote a letter and I went to our gravesite, which is a really nice place to hang out in the uh, church that I grew up in. And so I read this letter and part of what I was instructed to do was to after each amen, ask the other person, do you need to tell me how any of this hurt you personally? 
is there any other harm that I'm not aware of that you need to tell me about? And is there anything that I can do to make this right? And when I asked those questions, I heard like almost audibly, but within me, uh, very clear, when you hurt yourself, you hurt me. And I don't want you to do that anymore. Of course, I cried and cried and cried. I felt this like, I felt a presence and love and uh, it was life-changing. So prior to that, there were many experiences along the way where I felt triggered to um, eat sugar, to act out. And that very night, the most helpful, useful thing that I could do was to plate cookies on a tray for my friend's wedding and um, or wedding reception. And I, I did this as though they were dominoes. I had no attachment. I was neutral. And I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. I had never had that experience to food. I was either absolutely afraid of it or or giving in and going nuts with it. And this was a miracle. And um, over the next, you know, few months, I just continued to work my program. And I was helping a lot of people. So um, I... I was instructed to read pages 84 to 88 in the big book, and I did. I honestly hated doing it. <laughs> it really took some time, and it was annoying, but it helped develop what I was supposed to be, uh, how I was supposed to be living. It was written out clearly. And um, so that was incorporated, and I was sponsoring people and my OA meetings, I started meditating more. Um, my life was beautiful. <laughs> Things with my husband were amazing. I was sponsoring half of Pittsburgh. I made different ways to connect to God. I was making phone recordings where anything, and I still do this today, when anything is makes me nervous or goes on, I just use the phone recording app in my iPhone to say like, hey God, this is what's going on. I and I just talk to God. I just say like, you know, I'm having having anxiety about this. I'm having uh, you know, this situation at work. And then I listen back to it, and I always hear something that I didn't know that I didn't. Something is revealed in that experience. It's been a good way for me to connect. Also, writing letters. Sometimes having God write back. I can even do that in my phone too and um uh this is all happening that was like in 2013 around there and um we were struggling with infertility even back then but I just had this sense that it was all going to work out and that um things were going to be fine I we it went on like that where I was living the program I was living the big book for a couple of years until around the fall of uh, 2015. And um, what led up to that was a couple of things. What I can pinpoint most is that my ego is really what brought me down. That for whatever reason, 
it became like I was doing this. I had this beautiful life. I stopped engaging in a lot of the 11-step meditation stuff, the talking to God. And maybe I was talking to God, but I wasn't taking time to listen, to be patient. And I, I really just started seeing instead of me doing 10 and 11 to clear a channel for my higher power to work through me, they became a box to check in order for me to continue living the life that I wanted to and moving towards what I thought my goals were. And, um, you know, there were external factors. But as I said before, like, they are... (laughs) extremely insufficient when compared to I'm telling you I had this beautiful life like yes we were dealing with infertility I had gone through multiple rounds of injectable medications I had had an early miscarriage which was extremely emotionally painful I didn't feel like my husband was connecting to the pain of that like for him and and I've talked to other uh, women since it seems pretty common that Um, usually the men, because they don't experience it in the same way, they don't, like, have the same emotional response. And um, I wanted to move towards adoption. He wasn't ready. And uh, it sprouted a resentment towards the whole process pretty early on. Um, But all of these things were things that as I... When I'm living in recovery, like, I can use my program to um, get connected to my higher power and walk through them. And what started to happen as I was living life, you know, on Katie's self-will, then these things became just too overwhelming, just too negative. And uh, they started this wedge between my higher power and I, where I felt like there were these things that I wanted out of my life and my higher power wanted me to go on being a recovered person, just helping other people. And I I just started getting super resentful about it. So, um, yeah, I felt separate, alone. And within a few months, this, like those things started to happen around September, October. I picked up in early November. Uh, the night that I picked up, I it happened on the lie that I was done doing all this extra stuff. I was done, you know, weighing and measuring my food and uh, helping everybody else. I was done doing all this extra stuff, and I was. It was separating me from my husband and my family, and I was just going to go eat like everybody else. I mean, sure, sure, I was going to struggle at times, but um, everybody does. I mean, it's America. Everybody struggles with food, right? And I I just, like, had this idea that I was going to be normal, and um, that's what happens when there's a disconnect from my higher power that insanity returns. I do believe that I told you guys the story where I am literally throwing up in a parking lot after eating too much food. Like, not a normal person, not a normal eater, wasn't going back to anything that could remotely (laughs) 
even be disguised as like, oh yeah, yeah, she's has a little weight problem or something. But so that night, I um, my husband and I didn't really even get in a fight. We had some type of talk where I left feeling rejected. I don't even I I had been praying for him because of the resentment I had. Um, and it was working. <laughs> that was the thing. It was working. Like I was feeling all this love to him. And I went to him and expressed all this love to him. I just felt like he didn't give me what I want. He didn't like, he wasn't like, Oh, I love you too so much. You're great. Like we both were in a weird place. Like we had been having, having miscarriages and disappointments spending a whole lot of money it we weren't like oh yeah life is awesome uh especially whatever and so uh we'd had a party that night actually and um there was food in the house that wouldn't ordinarily be there not that you know it just wasn't my food and I went down got into it tried to go back upstairs and go to bed Went downstairs, got into the alcohol, tried to go back upstairs and go to bed. Woke up again and was like, it's on. Like, there's there, there's no, I know that I'm not going to bed. And um, went into the TV room and ended up hanging out with myself all night long, just binging, using, I even, like, uh, got in the car again, went to go get cigarettes. Like, it was everything. And um, my husband comes downstairs around 8 in the morning, and uh, he is like, what's going on here? Like, he had never – I met my husband the same month that I entered program, and, like, yeah, that first year and a half looked bad, but I hid most of it from him. He had never seen me like this at all. And, like – just was like what my demeanor I was a completely different person that was what was scary to him he just my general attitude was not like oh my god I can't believe what I did it was welcome to your new life like here we are like I'm hanging out playing video games how are you doing like I know it's eight o'clock in the morning what's up? And he, we actually had our first couple therapy appointment that morning um, that I'd set up because of all the stuff we had been going through with infertility. And prior to that, my therapist was like, you know, you're doing really good. Like, I can't actually tell you to do much more than you are when you do these 10 steps. It's like doing cognitive behavior therapy. When you do these 11 steps, it's like the guided imagery that I'm suggesting and meditation. When you're doing 12 steps, that's like distracting yourself and getting out of, you know, getting out of your own head. And I, in walks in, relapse Katie. And shocked. I mean, she just like, what, who are you? Like, what is this? <laughs> like, uh, like, yeah, I was drinking hot chocolate and eating candy and doing whatever, but it was just my de- demeanor. My husband kept saying, like, you know, her her effort meter is just, like, off the charts. Like, she does not care, and I didn't. I didn't care about anything or anyone. And uh, I don't 
I don't even know if I slept that, but that binge went on all weekend. And um, another thing that I remember so clearly is sitting on the couch and like talking to my husband in a very normal voice, like just how I am now and saying like, actually, no, I think this is good. I was really getting too carried away with all that spiritual stuff. I think I was delusional. This is just like, and as I'm saying it, like tears are just streaming down my face. Like tears are just pouring out onto my shirt. And like, I'm just saying like, no, no, this is a good thing. Like, you'll see everything's good. And he was like, you're crying right now. And I like, didn't actually realize like that I was it was just happening and um for the next few months I couldn't follow a food plan to save my life I full-blown started using nicotine again and um it ended up that most of my relapse looked like eating cheeseburgers and french fries and trying to control my alcohol intake I would have occasional binges with sugar but it was mostly this daily drudgery of waking up using nicotine and caffeine to get me to lunch uh, overeating at every meal trying to control my alcohol consumption because I did to some extent I would if I could limit it to like one or two then like obviously I don't have a problem everything's okay (laughs) meanwhile like the tornado is going crazy in the rest of my life. And um, and then just, like, numbing out with excessive food um, or excessive masturbation, whatever I needed to do to feel that chemical change in my brain. It's really hard to pinpoint in my story just one substance because it's not the kind of addict I am. Like, it's whatever will get me that uh, dopamine response. And... Um, it's what the big book talks about, blotting out the consciousness of my intolerable situation. That's what my life looks like. And um, the bedevilments on page 52 were my everyday existence. They were all true, yet I didn't see a way out. Like, I know it seems strange having lived the solution prior to this, but I, my general thought was like, well, I had it and now it's gone and I can never do it again. Like I don't, and, and to some extent, like the willingness to do any different wasn't there because those substances were working again. They had ignited something in me that like it, it, it lit me up, not in the way that like God lights you up and then you feel, uh, okay, like I can, face anything it's like this igniting feeling where your intestines are on fire but for some reason that feels that feels better than like going out in the cold like it just is not a good but it it's when that's happening i i almost will never make the choice of like yeah okay i'm gonna do this this hard program to get out of it like it sucks. So anyway, the, along with that, the soul hole, that dark soul hole was um, bigger than ever. I had I had always felt that before. I remember being a 12-year-old and, like, pointing to my chest and saying, like, it's right here. Like, something right here feels 
weird. Like, and if I push on it in this certain way, then, you know, I can kind of make it feel better. But I always had that empty feeling in the center of my chest until I had that experience with uh, my mom at the men's. Like, and when that happened, it took away the desire to use. And then in relapse and getting separated from my higher power, like feeling that gaping emptiness again was devastating. It was devastating. Um, I was needy and smothering my husband, yet avoiding most other people. And the food just like, like I said, it was just getting me by until like February of 2016, picked up the sugar again, went on a bender, was feeling wrecked. Um, I almost haphazardly texted a friend from the line and asked her if she would take me through the work. And she said, yes, I benched again that night. And then um, I put down the food and started working the steps with her uh, within a few days after that. And like, it wasn't the same type of experience that I had the first time, but I was like really surprised that it was working. I, it was working. I was starting to feel better. I did my fourth step again and I cleared away the resentments that I had towards my higher power and my husband. And I started to feel that sunlight again. And I just remember feeling grateful uh, because I was still loved and for whatever reason, I didn't know that when I was in relapse. I just didn't know it. Um, I went through all the steps again. I started working with a few people, but I really wasn't doing 10 and 11. And um, I don't think that I was actually committing my food either. And ultimately, in the summer of 2016, I relapsed on a vacation to Iceland. There were external factors. No phone reception. My younger sister... Um, was a few months pregnant with her first child and we had just found out another one of our IVFs had failed, like brought up more resentments and food was also kind of hard to find there because they have to import everything. But those are all, I mean, <laughs> the main thing is this separation from higher power. Like for me, it just happens so quickly. Like the, I really only have a day. I really only have a day and every day I wake up vulnerable to picking up and I have to do these things to like, it's like Groundhog's Day. I have to do these things and remember like, oh yeah, I'm an addict. Oh yeah, I need to, you know, uh, come in my food. I need to do the steps. I need to help other people. I need to get connected to God. Like, it's like all these things you, I don't know. It's true. So Anyway, within days, um, I went from just like, oh, I'm just going to eat bread to picking up, binging, um, drinking, smoking within a, re- within a week. Um, I was in relapse again for another month. And then uh, when I went home, I was totally done with OA. I was ready to quit. Um, just turn in my key to the home group that I attend here take my chances with bulimia and that was the best plan that I had. I had no hope of of getting out and um I have 
I can't remember if someone suggested it to me or if I, I don't know what brought this about, but right before I was going to quit forever, I just started saying the prayer, God, show me what to do and give me the willingness to do it. And I crawled out of relapse with that. It was like a Saturday, I decided to quit. Sunday, I heard a special edition on this line where my current sponsor told her story, which included multiple miscarriages. And I was emailing her before she even hung up the phone, begging her to help me. Um, She agreed. We started working the steps together by that Tuesday. I, I was abstinent and working and, um, I continued to use that prayer, just God, show me what to do and give me the willingness to do it. And my sponsor will tell you that I work this uh, program like my hair is on fire. That's what she says. And uh, after a few days of abstinence, it just snowballed that way where I had this like sense, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose my husband. I'm going to lose the house. I'm going to lose the job. I'm going to lose, like, everything. There is, it was that realization of, like, oh, my gosh. Like, now I know. Like, when I first went towards that um, other spiritual option in my crossroads scenario in the beginning, I didn't know what it was. And now I knew, like, there is this other life that I can live. And I am dying over here. I'm going to die. And uh, so it says in To Wives on page 120, this quote here, um, perhaps your husband will make a fair start on the new basis, but just as things are going beautifully, he dismays you by coming home drunk. If you're satisfied he really wants to get over drinking, you need not be alarmed though it is infinitely better to have no relapse at all. As is true with many of our men, it is by no means a bad thing in some cases. Your husband will see that once he see at once that he must redouble his spiritual activities if he expects to survive. And that was true for me. Like I just had this like, oh, I really like have to live my program every day. Otherwise I'm going down the other path. And um yeah. So we went through the work using the big book, some other materials um as well from uh Don C who's done a special edition. It's he's great. He's one of my heroes and um when we got to 10, 11, and 12, there was just that sense that, like, I can't mess around with this. Like, I I have to do it. And um, so when I get disturbed about anything, it is imperative that I see that person or circumstance differently. And something I've come to learn along the way in my 10th step is to basically disassemble the sick man's prayer and see myself in that other person. I need to manifest compassion, like, actively. So when doing 10-step, I, uh, you know, go through the first part, too, am I resentful at why? What is it affecting me? And uh, then the other part, which always helps me, 
like, it's amazing, is that I ask myself, where have I done the same actions, whether it be lied, criticized, uh, betrayed, gossiped, left out, um, where have I done those actions to the person that I'm resenting or anyone else? And that anyone else is super important because it usually sets off this light bulb moment of, oh, I'm doing that to my other friend, my younger sister, my dog. I don't know. And um, it's the whole point of the resentment in the first place. Like, I feel as though these resentments that I get, these, like, um, worries and fears, they're actually just a way for me to see uh, pieces of myself that my ego won't let me see otherwise. And when they're identified in this way, then I can go out and start treating other people differently and with more love and tolerance and patience and kindness that it's really hard to do until I can see, like, oh, I'm them. They, you know, whenever I've acted like that, it has been out of some kind of uh, fear or uh, not thinking about it, you know, I can just see myself in them. And even if their behavior doesn't change and they're still acting in a way that it just is like a puppet now, like they're just acting, they're just doing whatever it is that they're doing and I'm neutralized to their behavior. And it's essential. I have to be able to do that because if I'm reacting to everything as it's going on without this out, there's no way. There's no way that I'm going to be able to live and not freak out. So, you know, then we go through the other things where if I've been self-seeking, you know, what are the actions that I did, that I've done? Did I gossip, blame them, demonizing them, shunning them? Uh, where have I been selfish? So what is, what's the attitude of like, I'm right, they're wrong. I basically, my needs are more important than theirs. Like, what am I, what's the attitude that I have? And then for dishonesty, this is that lie that I'm telling myself to justify my attitudes and actions on any time that I think that I know what another person's intentions or motives are, uh, I put that here because, you know, well, I'm treating them like this because they are thinking that or did this or it's, that's all a lie. I have no idea. And um, it's all, everyone's, perspective of reality is their own like we've all lived different lives and different experiences so I learned this most with my husband who's just like a kind good person where there were times that I went to him with some of the delusional lies that I had in my head and he just laughed like he laughed because they were so far from reality that he couldn't even like fathom that I would think that like he laughed, and it just it just stopped me in my tracks of like, wow, like I'm nuts, <laughs> I'm totally nuts, and I really need this program. So, uh, okay, and then afraid, like these are going to be those core fears that most of us have if we really get down to it: the abandonment, being unloved, being unappreciated, being left out, um, and. I can't do anything with those fears but turn them over to God. Just saying, God, I'm scared about this. I don't know what to do. I need you to remove these fears so that I can be helpful. And then 
take God's hand and walk through whatever it is because life's going to change. That's a guarantee that we have. And if we can just go through without picking up and destroying everything around us, like we will get through it. It will change. I mean, something that I haven't talked about a lot, um, I also, recovered or not, have suffered from uh, seasonal depression for years. It's just, I have the biological response to less sunlight. And what happens in recovery when that happens is that I believe that spring will come, that I will feel different, and that I can, in today, like, focus on my family, uh, helping other people in recovery, being a good ultrasound tech at my job, and finding my higher power in the world. I still get tired. I get really tired. I get just feeling slow, feeling down, depressed. All of those things are there. My seasonal depression during my relapse was terrifying. I was empty, alone, um, felt hopeless. There was never going to be now. A lot of like really never and always feelings. I'm always going to feel like this. It's never going to be different. Da, da, da. Like those, it was so present that it was using was the only thing that I had to hold on to to even get through a moment and like I literally couldn't go more than a few minutes without using something I mean it's just how it was and um so today uh my 11th step it doesn't include taking time in the morning to ask God to direct my day to guide me in what to do I pray throughout the day. I pray before every meal. When I feel scared and alone, when I feel there's something to be thankful for, I talk to my higher power. I do an evening review. It really helps me see if there's any repeat resentments. And if there are, I pay attention to that and uh, do what I was just talking about in step 10 and start praying. And uh, the big book says that not only is resentment the number one offender, but also that the grouch and this brainstorm are, I love that line, dubious luxuries of normal men. So I can be at my job. I can be at a, whatever, a family event, and people around me can gossip and commiserate about things that they feel aren't how they how they would like it. And I, that is a luxury I don't have. Like, I can't go there. I usually, if I just try and um, either redirect or walk away, and uh, it's it just takes me down too quickly. I have to stay grateful, <laughs> positive, and helpful. And um, I, yeah, yeah, I think I needed to learn that that it's not a it's not a luxury I have. So, um, what else does this say here? Let me look at my notes. Um, yes. As far as my 12th step, um, yeah, I can, this can't be fueled by ego anymore. <laughs> like, this has to be, like, 
okay, God, who do you want me to help? And um, I, I just, what it, what it looks like today is taking people through the work. Usually I have like a few in the beginning, which we're spending a lot of time um, getting set up and doing the first few steps. Then uh, usually less in the active steps. And then people that have gone through that I maintain contact with. And uh, they talk about like um, developing the fellowship you crave. And I found that in recovery from this meeting and other people that I've met uh, who are committed to living this way of life. Like, I just have to. There's just no other option for someone like me. Um, uh, So Don talked about this being a daily treatment plan and that's how I think about it. I have this chronic incurable illness that can be arrested one day at a time. But like if anyone who has a chronic illness just stopped doing their treatment, they would veer towards relapse. And like I said, the big book makes clear what our time frame is. Daily reprieve. It's like, it sounds cheap, right? We do all this and we have one day, but it's like the rewards are priceless. I'm active, I smile a lot, I feel helpful most of the time, the soul hole is filled in, Um, I don't have the need to put food, alcohol, or any other substance in its place, I am free to live a life in that, I'm free to live a life and be happy about it, and that is, that's worth it, that is worth living a life of recovery. And um, so, yeah, life has its ups and downs. This year, the year that I've been abstinent and back from relapse, we've had three miscarriages, two failed IVFs, watched my best friend, other people in program, younger sister, all get pregnant and have babies. Yet, uh, with my higher power and all of you, we've stayed abstinent, um, been able to cry, be honest about those complex emotions like it doesn't mean that I don't have an emotional response but it can be hard and I I can still love them have joy for them and lean in to my higher power which wasn't really happening before it was uh I felt I felt very alone there and um my husband and I are stronger than ever We've finished the classes to adopt from foster care and are in the final stages of the process before we'll start getting matched with our kids. We're looking to adopt siblings, and I really have no doubt that I'm going to be a good mother to these kids. When we go through the classes, they like uh, they try and kind of scare you. They don't want you to go into the go into the process and then back out and the kids that they're describing and the issues that they have I'm like um that's like me like that is me exactly (laughs) so it's like I am gonna get this kid that needs a parent in recovery like needs someone who can show them a way to live because they likely have been through a lot of trauma they have these they have these 
feelings that they don't know what to deal with. They have these, um, you know, I don't know if they'll be a compulsive eater or not, like who who knows, but I do know that uh, recovery has been kind of a reparenting boot camp for me. And, um, yeah, it was it was needed. So, um, yeah, that, that delusion that I could eat like other people had to be smashed. And uh, if it took a year of relapse to do that, I consider myself lucky. I know there are people who have lost a lot of years of their life and, or their life in general and not come back. And I know that that's there for me if I choose to not show up here and do the deal every day. Um, and I do, I do it gratefully and happily, even when life's going amazing and everything's coming up millhouse. <laughs> and I also do it when I feel pretty crappy and I'm like just needing a hug. Do the program regardless because because that's life. Life's going to keep going on. And, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to pass. Thank you all so much for listening to my story, for being present and being a part of this. Thanks. Thank you, Katie, for sharing so much of yourself this morning and for sharing your personal experience and strength and hope and personal insights with all of us. Much, much appreciated. Katie's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. And we're now going to transition into a Q&A segment. You can ask Katie a question by pressing star 1 to unmute. Please identify yourself, including the first initial of your last name. Mary Lee Michelle. R. Org. Mary Lee R. Amanda Michelle. R. Amanda R. Michelle. Michelle, is that correct? Oh, yes. And your first letter, your last name, please, Michelle. L. L, got it. Anyone else? Okay, let's start with these three. Mary Lee R. Good morning, Katie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I actually have two questions. The first one is, um, could you describe doing the deal or what your um, routine looks like? And then I have a 10th step question um, about uh, how you would work with a resentment um, about being feeling like you're being taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Thanks, Mary Lee. And um, so doing the deal, I'll just run you through like a day in the life of Katie living a living recovered life. So I wake up, I roll out of bed and get on my knees, say the serenity prayer and the third step prayer, go downstairs, do a few other things. I get on my knees again and say the seven step prayer and um another prayer before say the Lord's prayer. It's long enough. I say that one before every meal. And then I 
read a daily meditation book. I have breakfast. I spend some time getting quiet with a notepad and just ask myself, God, I don't ask myself, I ask God, <laughs> what, what, am I, what am I supposed to do today? What do you want me to do? And I, like, make kind of a to-do list, and God's making this list. There are people and uh, things to do on this list that I wouldn't even think of. They weren't things in the back of my head, oh, yeah, i got to get that done. Some of them are. But other ones are, like, call call so-and-so. Like, um, you know, sometimes it's as simple as, like, go upstairs. <laughs> like, look in this room. You know, it's like, I don't know. But I'm listening to what God wants me to do. So then throughout my day, I embark on uh, whatever it is that I need to do going to work, but also incorporating this list. And um, throughout the day, when I feel afraid or um, someone offends me, whatever is going on, I do 10 steps. I I like to use the – there's an OA toolkit app on my phone, but – you can use paper, you can use your head if you're already have done it a bunch of times and know how to. But every time I do those, like, I'm always surprised at what I see. Usually if I write it down or type it out, I think that I know what uh, what it is that's annoying me, and it's not. Like, every time it's something like, oh, yeah, okay, it has nothing to do with that person. It's really this other situation. So then... Yeah, go to work. Like I said, praying before every meal, um, that's pretty essential for my recovery. Nothing goes in my mouth before I pray. And then um, come home, hug my dog, take him for a walk. <laughs> I, I call sponsees uh, or tell them to give me a call during my commute time. Um, I'm helpful to my husband. I make dinner. Um, we have time together where, you know, we're not on our phones, we're sitting at the table, we're, you know, talking about our day. And then um, usually I just spend the evening with him. Uh, If there are other people that I need to talk to, uh, that happens, but mostly that's family time. And then before I go to bed, I say, another thank you prayer and um, do any reading or writing that I need to do. So the working with sponsees usually happen on the weekend or via email and like when I can uh, respond to them. And then, yeah, that's that's doing the deal for me. It sounds like a lot of things, but it's just become my life, you know? Live my life, go to work, uh spend time with family, yet interspersed in there is touching base with my higher power because it can't be me just running full speed at life. Um, And then 10 steps for uh, if we feel like we're being taken advantage of. And that's one that I can really relate to. And maybe we can talk about it more um, off the line. Like maybe I can kind of run you through something like that that, because it might take me a while. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, generally, it would be just trying to see where I've, that same feeling, where am I uh, taking advantage of others or 
uh, and it might not be that same person. A lot of times it can be like, oh, I've done these same behaviors with my kids, with that person at work, with, you know, whatever, and then looking to the self-seeking, selfish, dishonest, and afraid. But, you know, if you want help with it, we can talk about it later. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you, Mary Lee. Amanda R., your turn. Hi, this is Amanda R. from Maine, and I was wondering, um, what's your experience with uh, sort of breathing some new life into that 11-step practice where you had mentioned it being, uh, it can become a box to check off. It can become very formal and Mm -hmm. not really listening to God, and I see that tendency, you know, come and go within myself, and it scares me. So Mm -hmm. any experience you have, I'm, I'm glad to hear. Yeah. Um, I like talking to other people about what they're doing. And also the meditation books, like switching that up. And if I'm like, like the style that I'm talking or writing to my higher power, I can, you know, even it just, it's just about like trying to stay in contact. So um, sometimes my meditation does look more like a traditional you know, getting quiet, being peaceful. Other times it can be like, I'm going to do yoga. I'm going to, you know, it just, uh, I'm going to take a walk in nature. Like those things can all be incorporated into my getting connected to my higher power because it's whatever works. Like I, it does need to be that. Our 11th step they, it's like the one step where they give us this broad range of like, talk to people and, um, you know, talk to a rabbi, talk to your church, like whatever, just get out there, just start doing it, talk to other people, see how they're doing it. Like we're not given this, like you have to read 44 through 48 or 84 through 88 and that's it. Like, no, just you're, you're allowed to do whatever there. So that was helpful. Thank you, Amanda R. Michelle L. Hi, Katie. This is Michelle. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Hi. Okay. I was unmuting and I didn't hear if I was called on. Um, Michelle in Delaware, thank you so much for your um, presentation this morning and sharing. I had two questions. Um, Thinking about relapse and coming back. One thing is I was just curious while you were out there, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. out there, um, did you, did people contact you? And if so, did you find it annoying or helpful people in program? Because it sounds like you were pretty connected before you um, relapsed. And um, I always, I struggle with that with how much to Uh, reach out to people um, Mm -hmm. that I know are in relapse. So that was one question. And then my second is about your food. And um, if it's, if it's different this time around and not with any, you don't have to get into any specifics, but if um, you're, you're following the same food plan as before, or you've um, kind of either become a little, yeah, where, where you're at with that. Thanks. Sure. Thanks. Um, so, yeah, relapse and being out there. And uh, occasionally people would 
check in, but I avoided you all like the plague. Like it was so painful to even, um, I didn't listen to a vision for you. I didn't, I went to my, um, I went back to the meetings that used to really annoy me. (laughs) That's what I did. And I, um, yeah, no, I didn't completely leave away. I was in touch with some people, but mostly people who were like, it's okay, you know, you like, I don't know. I don't know if it would have been better uh, any other way, but I'm glad that there was somewhere to go. But no, like as far as recovered people, I didn't return phone calls. It was no. And um, as far as my food. So, yeah, I just, I follow, I no sugar, no flour, no caffeine or sweeteners. Those things just freak me out. And then, I follow a food plan that a nutritionist gave me for my, uh, you know, height, weight, and activity. So that's how that went. Thank you, Michelle L., for the question. Who else has a question this morning for Katie? Star 1 to unmute to identify yourself, please. Dahlia B. Is that Dahlia? Yes. Okay, Dahlia B. Who else? Toby W. Toby W. This is Kevin. Kevin, your first letter, your last last initial of... You got it. First letter of your last name, (laughs) Kevin, please. F. Got it. Thank you. Angela P. Raz R. Raz R. Angela P. I missed somebody. Tina Z, as in zebra? Tina Z, okay. Anyone Leslie else? Leslie M. Yes, Good Leslie morning. M. Yeah, was there a Devora in there? Yes, Devora L. Okay, gotcha. All right, that's the list. Let's start with Dahlia B, and then we'll have Toby W. Go ahead, Dahlia. Thank you. Um, My question is about when you came back to our program again, was there something you realized that you did uh, wrong or not good enough or just mistakes in the way you, you worked your program the previous time? And did you do something different following uh, such a revelation? And uh, also, how was, if at all, what you did before in program helpful to you on your uh, subsequent round? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so um, what I did before was helpful for me this next round. I mean, it was kind of like a returning to uh, this truth that I knew. And um, like I said, I had all this guilt of like I threw it away. But once those things were cleared away, I was reunited. And um, as far as like a mistake or things that I did wrong, like what I can kind of see from the perspective uh, afterwards here is uh, like I was talking about my ego really got in the way the point of the steps 
is an ego-reducing process. And if that part isn't happening and somehow it turns into an ego-bolstering, oh, look at how many people I'm sponsoring. Oh, look at what I'm doing and spending all this time in meditation. Like, that, that is not, that's not the process. It's not going to work. So um, ego-reducing and then also doing it every day. Like, once that linked into my brain that I was doing this, that I was in charge of my own life, it also became, um, I don't really need to do that. I don't really need to follow this. I, I just, I didn't, so it wasn't doing, the, I wasn't doing the program every day. I wasn't, also as I'm talking about like, oh, I was sponsoring half of Pittsburgh. I don't, I didn't really have uh, a recovered sponsor that I was doing those things with (laughs) so yeah that was another part and um uh i don't know if there was another question that i that i missed no that was it thank you so much thanks dahlia toby w hi there this is toby w food addict um thank you katie i think you answered the question uh, just now, because my <clears throat> my question was um, about ego reducing, because I, after four years of abstinence, uh, had a relapse, and it was because I was sponsoring so many people and forgot about taking care of me and really felt I was doing it. Um, so... Uh, unless you want to add anything else, I really um, don't have anything else to um, any other question. And I really identified quite a bit with what you shared. And I thank you for your share. Thank you, Toby. Thank you very much. Kevin, ask your turn. Kevin, star one to unmute. Can you hear me? I do. Yes. Okay, thank you. Um, my question is, um, when you, you talked about when you first came in, you adopted the FAA food plan, which I believe is weighted, measured, no sugar, no flour, et cetera. And then you said when you came back, you talked to a nutritionist. Um was there any real difference between that? A little bit. Um, there, the amounts that I was eating was increased just based on my age and uh, inactivity. I am a pretty active person. Exercise for me mm-hmm. is something that I need to do for my depression and to feel in my body. So I know some people, you know, they have issues with it and need to regulate it. But for me, exercise is it's part of it's part of me living a healthy life. So. Right. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Devorah L. Your turn. Hi, Katie. Thank you so much uh, for your call. I can really relate. Um, my question is, I'm 
getting out of relapse. Thank God I had my afternoon breakfast today. And what I, what has been happening with me is I have un, unfortunately been the product of a food poisoning situation where my nutritionist with all good intentions would recommend something and I would try it and then I would get a reaction. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. once the poison, once the the food is in me and I developed a reaction, neither of us knew I would be allergic to it, those cravings start and either something happens physiologically, maybe it drops my blood sugar, get hypoglycemic or whatever it is, those cravings come and I just, I'm, I'm already doomed. And even when I make program calls, it's like after the calls are over and I hang up the phone, the cravings are still there. So that's one mm-hmm. part of the question. And then the second part, so I wanted to see if you had any tips on that, just dealing with these cravings, especially sometimes when it's a situation when it's like I feel like I've been spiked. And it's not like I willingly wanted any of this to happen, but I have a highly highly sensitive body. And then the second mm-hmm. question, when you're climbing out of these situations, you know, one of my triggers is volume. So I, my stomach has, you know, been about to like burst with volume, not of sugar, but just of like say three absent meals that I ate together to, to whatever. I got hypoglycemic and I just wanted to eat till oblivion. What have you done and your disciplines to help you get out of that the next day, the day after, with those nagging feelings of wanting more volume, um, you know, with the stomach being all stretched and it going down, just to, like, what disciplines have you done to help carry you through? Thank you, and sorry for the long question. Okay. Um, thanks. So there have been times that I've, like, been inadvertently triggered, and I immediately go to my higher power. I'm just like, God... Okay, like, didn't mean for this to happen. Like, please help me through this. Really just show me what to do. Help, help, whatever. Usually that involves drinking a lot of water and going for a walk. But, like, I just, there's not much I can do. Like, when, I, when I'm triggered like that, it's getting into action, you know, calling other people. I know that you're saying, like, you know, I, I call people and then I still feel it. It's, in the beginning, like, whenever I'm coming out of relapse, that is what it feels like this continual gnawing of, like, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you. Like, that's, that is what it feels like. And I have to work my butt off to do all of those other things. Those tools that are in the program, those disciplines, like, they are helpful to get me abstinent. They will not keep me abstinent. I can't develop an entire life program just out of those things. But they are helpful to get me abstinent and to help me work the steps um so doing them, like doing doing all those things that are suggested, you know, talking to our sponsors, reading, going to a meeting, listening to a meeting, uh, whatever, all of those things. Those are things that we do whenever we feel triggered. And I can't, if it was me living my life like that for the rest of my life, I'd say forget it. There's no way. I'm not going to just deal with this forever. But that's not what happens, right? We, like, have that initial response. We do those things. And when we go through the steps, it's like it it puts the fire out. It just like, it puts it out and we're able to live life freely. Like that's what I didn't understand. I thought that, I thought that my life was going going to be me fighting this addiction for the rest of my life. And I knew that's why I threw in the towel so early, especially before I even found recovery, just 16 to, you know, 20, 28. It was just, 
I'm never going to make it. I, you know, I know that if I, maybe I won't pick up today or tomorrow or next week, but eventually I will. So I'm just going to pick up now. But that's not what happens. Like in living this life, we don't want to. We don't, it's, the urge isn't there. I'm not fighting the urge because the urge isn't there. So at first, just do those things to get closer to that point of working through the steps and eliminating it. That's very helpful. Thank, thank you so much, Katie. Absolutely. Thank you, Deborah. Now, Angela P., your turns are one to unmute. Hey, thanks. This is Angela P. Katie, thanks so much. This is awesome. Um, I have a, my question is around 10th step. So I'm really enjoying, like I'm finding so much freedom in this 10th step. And um, I have two questions around it. One is, do you always write your 10 steps out or do you sometimes just do them on the fly? And then my second question is, um, like what I'm struggling with, I think, is the actions to take to, you know, really change because I've got some of these character defects are just so entrenched that I I don't know how I'm going to change you know or let them be removed um, and so you know I'm curious like you do you just get ideas for how to be different or act differently um, from other folks that you're working those 10 steps with or do you find you know is it just a slower process um, mm-hmm. of of awareness awesome yeah um, so with the 10 steps, what I do during the day is, you know, the first opportunity that I have, I usually do what I was talking about with that phone app that's called the OA Toolkit. You can do a spot check inventory in it. It's absolutely awesome. And, um, you know, then I'll either text that to someone. And most of the time, like, it that takes it away. If it doesn't, then... That's something, like, if it lingers around, I'm doing 10 steps, I'm doing 10 steps, and it's still hanging out there. Then I need to talk to another recovered person and help them see see it differently. Like, help me see it differently. And um, so that that's usually how I work that. And sometimes if I cannot, you know, I'm working, I can't get to my phone, like, I will just try and run it through my head. Okay, like... I'm pissed at them for this reason. This is what it's a lot of times what it's affecting in me. Um, that helps. Like, okay, this is really just this is kind of like my ego. That's what I associate with self-esteem. Like, it's actually my ego and pride. And uh, this is my ambition. It's affecting this. And when I'm going through those things, I'm seeing like, all right, it's not actually the situation. It's all these things that it's affecting in me. That helps. And then when I get to that other piece of, like, how do I do this? A lot of times those can be hard to see in my head for whatever reason. Like, it's just, it's blocked in there. So it's always, I believe, it's a lot um, more effective for me to put it in my phone or write it out. And then as far as, like, the character defects and not being able to change them, that's, like, that six and seven step stuff where I recommend looking um, – uh, Don C has a blog, and uh, he goes in depth about steps six and seven, and uh, kind of working towards the opposite of what that be, what what that would be. And when we're doing that in our ten steps, it comes down to like, okay, I have this fear, and I can't do anything about it. God, please show me, uh, show me what to be. And then I like kind of, okay, what is that? 
God would have me be courageous. God would have me be honest. God would have me be loving, kind, patient, tolerant. And then, like, what does that what does that real world look like right now in this scenario? And then I go do that, like whatever it is. I can't stop myself from doing a behavior. It's just like with the food. Don't eat, don't eat, don't eat. That never worked. I couldn't do it. But building a life of these other um, ways to live, that's, that's my way out. Is like it's addition, not trying to stop some other thing. Awesome. Thank you. That really is awesome. Thanks, Angela. Razar, your turn. Star one to unmute. Can I be heard? You yes. can be heard. Thank Sorry. you. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> Thank you, Katie, for your share. Um, I'm Razar, Florida Recovered, and so grateful to have heard you today. Um, I have a question that kind of just ring, you know, stuck in my head that I wanted to ask you. Um, I heard you when you were talking about when you do four steps with people, you know, how in the beginning you work with them very intently, and then when you get to um, the action steps, uh, you have some people that you talk to periodically and some people that you, um, you know, the, the maintenance people and then the people that are in the action steps, you do that a different way as opposed to the people who are, you know, in one, two, and three. I'd just like to hear your process with that if you don't mind sharing that. Yeah, sure. So this is something I've been you know, being a product of relapse, I've been through the steps many different ways. And, like, I actually think of it as an asset of, like, this was helpful um, when I did it this way, and that was helpful when I did it this way. This was something that was lacking when I went through, you know, and whatever. And I actually go through steps constantly, you know, even what I'm talking about, the living in 10, 11, and 12, I still go back and do, you know, the full 1 through 12 at least once a year. And so... Um, I've come to see that sponsoring, and I hope this will be helpful whenever I'm parenting, people are different, and they don't all need a cookie-cutter thing. After, like, talking to someone and kind of getting a sense of their personality, where they've been, what hasn't worked for them, and what did, then I suggest we start, like, you know what, I'm going to send you these questions, and I have, like, various ones to pick from, and uh, it's not everybody gets exactly this. It's like, okay, well, let's try this. And then we go forward. And it really seems to be dependent. Ah, people are different from the person. Thank you. Thanks, Roz. Uh, Katie, out of respect for you, we still have two people on our list to ask questions. You okay going over 10 o'clock? Yes. Okay, excellent. So let's go on to Leslie M., and then we'll hear from Tina Z. Leslie M., your turn. Good morning. This is Leslie M., a recovered compulsive overeater uh, in Long Island, New York. Thank you, Leah, for your service. And Katie S., thank you so much for your sharing. I I have a question. Um, You know, I'm never quite sure, you know, you were talking earlier about when people called you when you were in relapse. I'm never quite sure how to handle people that I've sponsored previously, uh, call and check in, because I still feel like I'm their sponsor or guide, even though I know that I'm not. So if you could share, you know, perhaps how you do that, someone that you haven't talked, spoken to in a while or someone um, not necessarily in relapse, but just kind of um, you're not speaking anymore. I kind of find it hard to go from sponsor to friend. 
Um, yeah. If you could address that, I would appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, um, I, you know, I don't know if what I do is right or wrong or if there is a right or wrong, but a lot of times when people drop off, I kind of just let them do their thing. I, I'm, not, I'm not chasing anyone. I'm not saying, like, oh, how are you doing? You want to do this? You want to try that? Because I know that when I was there, I didn't. I had no. And even if I would have, like, it just, I don't, I don't call a lot of people who, who I start working with and then they um, stop calling. Um, but as far as uh, people that I've taken through who are recovered a lot of times, what we do is just like uh, set up a time to check in like every week. How are things going? How is your sponsoring going? Um, anything with your 10 steps, you know, what's it looking like with this? And it's just a check in really. And these people are my friends. <laughs> like it just becomes yeah. like, yeah, it just becomes that way of like, we, we, are a network and um but yeah if people that's basically I think what you were asking about like when people go into relapse do you do you reach out and you know I don't I don't know if it's right or wrong I go to what the big book says and it says kind of to leave them alone so Mm. thank you thanks Leslie and our final question for the morning comes from Tina Z Hi, hi, um, Katie. This is Tina Z from New Jersey, and um, <clears throat> I have a question. Actually, I actually have two questions for you. Um, one, uh, you had said that when you relapsed, um, you picked up other substances like nicotine, mm-hmm. and um, that that seems to be my problem as well. When I when I relapsed into the food first, and then I started smoking. And now I'm kind of like smoking like a fiend and binging like a fiend. So <clears throat> my question to you is um, when you decided to get back into program, did you still have a nicotine problem or uh, had you put down the cigarettes first or did you kind of put them down together or was nicotine mm-hmm. kind of like a, some, a substance that you could put down on your own and food was really your primary addiction? And yeah. uh, the second the second question I have is, um, how do you find that OA app? Do you go into the app store or? Yeah. Okay. Just uh, OA toolkit. The OA toolkit. Yeah, OA. Okay, and you can find that in the iPhone app store. Just put in it's OA in both. toolkit. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. okay. It's in both. Okay. Um, Apple and Android. Um. Do we want to talk about nicotine off the line, Leah? I don't know. Is that like I tried to? I, I would be willing to talk to you offline about that one because that that is the two for me are really connected in some way. And yeah, it, I can. And uh, if I could call you later and you want to discuss it with me, that's fine. Absolutely, because yeah, I mean. Addiction is addiction, and I will absolutely talk to you about that and and how I it's a toughie. Yeah, but yeah, no, I'm free from nicotine today. <laughs> I could, okay. There's no way that I could live the, with this and not be. Yeah. Okay. I um uh, I guess you'll be giving out your phone number later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fabulous. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Tina Z, and thanks to everybody who asked questions this morning. And, of course, thank you to our speaker, Katie S., for your generous service this morning and sharing your 
recovery with all of us. Much appreciated, KDS. And let's close now from page 164, chapter entitled, A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.